Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. And I am very fortunate to be joined today by two trailblazing African women operating in the legal tech space. This being Naomi Thompson and Leah Molatsedi, both of whom were recently featured in the 2022 ILTA, this being the International Legal Tech Association's Influential Women in Legal Technology list. So a little bit of a background on both of my guests. Naomi Thompson is a former in-house lawyer who now sits as the Senior Vice President Legal Solutions at Exigent. And Exigent, for a little bit of background, is a leading global technology and consulting provider of innovative solutions operating at the intersection of law, business and technology. And Leah has held a range of roles within the legal sector and now operates as head of business development for Legal Interact, a business who are building legal technology for the legal community. So let's dive right in with some questions. Now, I'm aware that you've both had experience of both operating in a private practice environment as either an associate within a law firm, but then also in-house counsel. I think, Naomi, you've operated in both. So I'm interested, would you say you found the legal tech ecosystem more or less welcoming and supportive of women compared with your time in in practice, either in a law firm or in-house? Where where have you seen the, the red carpet rolled out to a greater degree? Hi, Tom, and a very good afternoon to both you, Leah, and your listeners. The red carpet, I'm still waiting for the red carpet to be rolled out. I thought that would be the case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but to be honest with you, I really do find the current um, legal tech ecosystem a lot more friendlier towards towards women. Um, If you really just look at the time and the billable hour that you have to contend with from Mm. a in-house perspective, that is definitely not the case within the legal tech environment. However, I do have to just note that the legal tech ecosystem in South Africa and in Africa is a very um, developing one still. So there are still many challenges that we do face, even from a perspective of how many women are really participating in the tech world. So it really is still male dominated. So we do come up against similar challenges that you find both in-house and um, within law practice. That's very interesting. Leah, anything to add on that? Uh, you know, I'd have to agree with Naomi in the sense that uh, the legal take space is a bit more welcoming. Or for me, you know, my own personal experience, I just think it's just really about where you sit. So, for example, um, when I was in the startup world, it was a bit more difficult because I was contending not only with other legal tech startups, but with other, um, you know, tech startups. And you know where we are with fintech, you know, on the continent. Um, We're talking about conversations or getting in front of VCs. uh, So it's a bit more harder. Uh, Whereas where I am now, um, representation is key. Uh, I actually do like it. Uh, Most of our roles are female-led, teams are female-led. And there's a bit more intention around ensuring representation and support. So I think it's just really where you sit. 
But as a whole, in terms of the ecosystem, it's really been very welcoming. And as a follow-up, um, Naomi, I think you could take a first swing at this. What what do you think are some of the practical steps that the African legal tech community should be looking to take or, or taking to make the community even more open and accessible to, to female talent? Because that's often the, the major hurdle here is even making women who are near the legal tech space realize just how accessible it is. So what what do you think we can do that helps raise that awareness on it's here, it's happening, and, and you can definitely become part of this? Absolutely correct, Tom. And I think what we are doing right now is part of that education journey. Um, this is the role that I play, and, and I suppose for a large extent, Leah, as well, is to raise that awareness. It's about that education around what, number one, is legal tech, what is the homegrown legal tech in Africa, and how are we really able to get more female participation? I think I read a statistic somewhere where they say that the African um, tech founders are one of the most mentored in the entire industry, but mm. they are the least funded. So it is really about ensuring that we get that funding for them. It's about ensuring that we create ecosystems that can support them and that, that they have the buyers of those um, technologies that they are busy developing. Leah, any insights in your experience on, on how the community community can just make itself more accessible to women? I think it's also about being very intentional. I mean, uh, naturally, you know, my boss will always say, yeah, but you can't stop being loudly. That's just who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think we love you for it. There's, we wouldn't take you any other way. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me personally, because I, I realized the impact that legal tech had for me personally, from a mission, personal mission perspective, but also career wise, it did not make sense for me not to share my journey. Because I also realized that there are also not a lot of people who look like me in this space. So there's this inherent responsibility on me to share, whether my ups and downs. I mean, people have seen me grow through the pits. But I think the more visible we are, the more it makes it a bit more real. And this is partly why I host, um, you know, monthly, uh, I call it Legal Tech with Leah um, on Twitter. It's Twitter Spaces, where I just share um, our journeys, you know, um, whether you're a startup founder, but typically it's anyone in the legal tech space who just opens up about what they're doing on the continent. And that for me is important because I feel we still do not have enough African legal tech content. So keep talking about it, keep doing it. And a wider kind of call out is make sure that the funding options are available for people people interested here. So to take things on a, on a, on a kind of a different track here, a quite a blunt question. Who in African markets, and Leah, you could feel this one to begin with, in your experience is providing a more forward-thinking outlook and being more demanding when it comes to legal technology? Is this the in-house legal community or private practice law firms? Definitely in-house. 
I don't know, maybe it's because of the space that they're in or because they understand the business side of optimizing, of creating efficiencies. So their appetite for um, legal tech solutions is a bit more higher. You know, they're interested in figuring out, okay, how can we do this so much more better? Whereas um, their counterparts, you know, practicing law firms, not only is it a budgetary consideration for them, but there's still an education that needs to happen for them to make them understand that, hey, yes, you're running a law firm, but you're actually running a business. And, you know, law firms that actually really appreciate legal tech solutions are the ones that function like businesses, that recognize that we are on a different playing field. And so I need to treat this law firm not just as, you know, me delivering legal services, but more than that in terms of making themselves more sustainable, improving client services, and all of these things you can do through the use of legal tech solutions. I I couldn't agree more, and I I do blame, maybe I blame it too often, but the billable hour. I really do think that as long as your business model has an incredibly finite and incredibly limiting and, let's face it, incredibly expensive component such as a billable hour where's the incentive to you know technology can't whatever people say it can't magically create more hours in the day so if you're it can help you squeeze more into those hours but if your entire billable structure is built around a single hour and you believe if i write times four hours with a price next to it it will get paid where is the impetus where is the drive to transform how you're doing business so i as you're trying to educate i would love to see it as a one-two punch it's educating on the benefits but then also educating that you need to change in order to embrace these benefits and realize the power that technology can can bring but anyway personal rant over uh naomi i don't think you're gonna have a different viewpoint not to second guess you here but there's the question in-house or private practice driving the legal tech agenda in africa who who wins I do not have a different opinion to Leah, but both my legal and business training always taught me to say it depends. So, yeah, it really depends on the, there's a spectrum, Tom. There's a spectrum of in-house legal teams that are definitely, like Leah said, they've got the impetus to change. They are under cost pressure, so they have to embrace these technologies. But then again, these are not your aspirational type of technologies that they are um, implementing. They are your um, efficiency gain type of technologies, like your contract management um, your e-signature tools, etc. What I have seen, however, is some of your more larger law firms are leading in terms of, especially around those aspirational types of technologies, because they have the budgets. They are intentional about it and they are driving to be able to implement the kind of technologies that can give them the 
competitive advantage that they are looking for. But law firms are also under pressure from their in-house counterparts. Um, the in-house teams, they need, they are under cost pressure, so they're passing that on to the law firms. But if you think of your medium to small size law firms, they don't have the financial ability to be able to invest in these kind of technologies, right? So that's also one of the reasons they are in fact lagging and why I am agreeing with Leah that it is more your corporate that have implemented or that are leading the way. Here's a question then. Do you think it is that budget question, which is the single deciding or greatest factor in African small and medium law firms uptake and embracing of technology? If these were all better funded, say there was a magical pot of money that all small and medium African law firms could could dip into, to help upskill uh, and uh, purchase legal technology, do you think the vast majority would? And do you think they would buy well and deploy well? Or do you think there's something else aside from access to the to the cash that is the biggest limiting factor in their embracing of legal tech? It's a huge factor, but it's not the single most factor. Um, it really goes to the understanding still of our market as to what the benefits are for them being able to use this. I often come against, and you've mentioned it, you've had it in your rank, the billable hour. So if <laughs> I'm going to operate more efficiently, how am I going to charge? What does that mean? Why should I be more efficient? I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. So I don't really understand why I should have the technology. So yeah, Yes, as much as um, financial constraints is a big component of it, I think law firms needs to start thinking more strategically. Um, like Leah was saying, the ones that operate like businesses are the ones that are implementing these kind of technologies. And they need to also start looking at their organizational structure as to how they can be more competitive against their peers, how they can deliver more value to their clients instead of really just looking at how else am I going to charge my clients? So yeah, no, we can give them all the money and that would not necessarily translate. So speaking of structures and billable hours and, and you know, all of that jazz, a, a question for you, Naomi, will an all-male law firm operating under a traditional partnership structure billing time by the hour, and maintaining a large physical law library. Is this firm going to exist in South Africa in five years' time? <laughs> Will it exist? <laughs> we certainly hope not. <laughs> if I look at the pace of transformation in our, in our industry, I'm tempted to say in, a, in some way or form it still will exist. Um, I think I was able to get, and I like data, right? So the state of the legal industry report said that um, I think five years ago, there was about 60% of the, of the firms being mostly male owned. 
it has now changed, but it's only gone to 47%. So you can see that transition is really very slow. And I don't think we have all male law firms, but we have predominantly male-run law firms. And then with that, you have to look at where does the female decision-making power really sits? Do we have sufficient females being able to make those decisions? And Right now, not yet. It still is it still is quite low. So I think the domination of the male law firms would still exist in five years' time. We will be transforming, but slowly. The law library, the physical law library, would certainly not exist. They would have the traditional books that we have right now. And if I could tell you a secret, Tom, the reason why I became a lawyer, because as a five, six-year-old, I walked into a law office for the very first time and I fell in love with those books and those large law reports and I'm like oh I think I'd love to do this so I think we'll still have the library that exists right now but it will not be in the form that we utilize it now um, technology has gone way too far you can find any information that you need at your fingertip at a, in a much more efficient faster and a better way you have AI being able to extract what you require what you need why will we be spending hours sitting and reading through law reports i i would i would hope you're right um leah here we go to, to put the same question to you that the stale pale and male south african law firm five years time are you are you still knocking on their door for a client visit or have they disappeared <laughs> uh, the optimist in me is like, yes, we would have changed. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> but the realist in me recognizes that there are legacy systems, there are cultural inhibitors, um, there are structural um, issues that exist that prevent, um, you know, as Naomi correctly stated, you know, women from being in those critical decision-making decision um, positions positions that would actually enable them to really make certain moves that uh, would make an impact because ultimately and I speak as someone who's been um, you know in a traditional law firm I know what that looks like I was like one of the youngest um, associates um, I had my children very young I had been advocating for um, flexible hours um, Purely because of that, I was told I'm too much of a feminist. So, so you can just <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so you can just imagine um, what other people who may not have enough uh, character strength, um, you know, to actually grapple with those type of um, situations and environments. So, it is quite um, difficult, but. I think the more vocal we are, you know, I, I'm, I'm very wary of leaving my opportunities, my future to the next person. And so I always say uh, the more we are vocal, so the more I'm vocal, the more the Naomi's are vocal, the more they are talking about their journeys, um, the more it can actually open up women to more opportunities in terms of, okay, so even if you don't want to practice law, hey, you can literally be different. You can be like Aaliyah, you can be like a Naomi. And if you do want to practice, you can still, I mean, right now we're seeing a boom in alternative 
um, legal service providers uh, within uh, law firms, you know, departments. I mean, that's a nice uh, pivot, you know, in terms of the traditional um, legal space. So, you know, I'm encouraged. And then we look at what the pandemic has done. Uh, it's opened up a bit more flexibility in terms of women being able to work, you know, being at home. And because these are some of the issues that we face that I can't just decide not to have children um, or, you know, neglect them just because I love the law. You know, there needs yeah. to be a balance and everyone needs to come to the party. I think it's a fundamental understanding of how much benefit there is to be had by creating a, a um, an equal and a welcoming environment. You know, it's it's so easy just to shout status quo and the idea that, well, flexible working means you're working less. It says, yes, but take that line of thought one step further. No, you're working in an environment which is more beneficial, more conducive to headspace in a happier environment you're happier, you're therefore more productive, you know, the output is more beneficial. So I think there just needs to be this attack against short-termism and and knee-jerk thinking. You need to be playing these decisions forward and thinking, why is this being requested? If someone who's in your organization is requesting something, it's usually with a very good reason in mind. Not everyone is just trying to shirk work. You know, it's all about playing it forward to, to, to my mind as well. And if you do do that in an open and honest dialogue, you usually realize that it's an outcome which is good for you, good for the you know, employee and good for clients. It, it, it's a win-win-win all round. Um, a, qu- a quick follow-up, if I may, on the um, stale, pale and male law firm, five years time. Now, them existing, we're all in agreement, is a distinct possibility. But the question is, are they making anywhere near as much money? Where does the money come from? It comes from the clients. Now, the UK and the US markets have already seen quite a... Uh, a, a tidal shift in in-house legal counsel's ability and willingness to make certain demands of their legal service providers, whether that's on uh, diversity um, or, or uh, billable structures, fixed fees and products and so on. I'm, I don't hear as much from the African in-house legal community when it comes to demands around diversity uh, in particular, you are both pretty close to the ground, though. Am I missing something, or is that rallying cry yet to really be vocalised by African in-house counsel as much as it has been in the in the UK and the US, for example? Naomi, any any thoughts on that before we turn to Leah? Tom, it exists, but they're not very loud. Um, mm. It exists in in some form or way, but. I believe there's a lot more that the buying power that sits with the in-house and the corporates and the users of law can put on these law firms. Um, I've seen some pressure being put on them by the um, by the various other structures that is coming in, the likes of your alternative legal services providers, the likes of technology that can be used. So there is an awareness that they have to change, but that awareness has not moved into, oh dear, the time for change 
is right now. Um, some of the change or some of the pressure that law firms do have is more around your black economic empowerment and yeah, what yeah. black legislation requires. But I don't believe that, that that goes to the point of looking at diversity from a male female perspective. So they can be 100% compliant and still be a male dominated organization. So um, that pressure would really come from the market and we should be asking, they, they should be answering to us a lot more but like in a lot of other things in South Africa, we are takers of what comes from the UK market in particular. I've seen that in legislative changes. So I know it's coming. They just need to be aware. And the ones that would be um, the ones that would be clever would be preparing and, and positioning themselves to be at the forefront when that pressure comes. Yeah, I do. I do agree. Leah, anything to add there? No, no, I'm, I'm good. I think she captured it so well. Great job, Naomi. Let's move on to another question here. It's a bit of a controversial one. I'm interested in the concept of, of allyship. You know, this is this is male support for, uh, dare I say, a feminist agenda, but at least, uh, uh, you know, female empowerment in, in certain uh, industries. And we're talking about the legal services industry here. But I'm interested, Leah, in your experience, where, where can this go wrong, the idea of the, the allyship? You know, do you think this grants some men a get-out-of-jail-free card by allowing token gestures, for example, such as the occasional LinkedIn post or a badge being taken as a full, you know, box ticked when it comes to their support of women in the legal industry? Um, if so, what really does need to change for the African legal community to become more more inclusive and, and diverse. So a double header there, you know, allyship, where can it go wrong? And secondly, what needs to happen to stop tokenism? I think in terms of where it can go wrong, you know, oftentimes because ultimately perception drives the market. And so people understand, businesses understand, law firms understand that, oh, okay, it's Women's Day. So let's decide to have a tiny little party or, <laughs> a, <laughs> or a blog here or a video here just to show that, hey, um, we support women. Um, and so uh, in as much for the year there we go move yeah, on yeah, yeah I, move on yeah. you know <laughs> and i think that's where they they get it wrong because they understand it from a business perspective in terms of how they can actually leverage it um in the market but what needs to happen in terms of actually stopping tokenism i'd like to think is actually talking to your people understanding their needs and then actually being intentional about ensuring that they're able to show up for you. Typical example. So where I am, I, I am a bloom girl, farm girl. Uh, so I had been living there for the past uh, couple of years. But when I started at Legal Interact, um, they said, oh, okay, you can stay for the first three months. And I agreed. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Gives me time. Uh, more time with the children. And then when I came to Johannesburg, and this wasn't even me. I think it just, 
came from them because they recognized that, okay, she's a mom and she has made the sacrifice that, okay, for this year, the children will be back in bloom. So they're like, oh, okay, no, um, once a month, um, yeah, each month, once a week, you can go to bloom. You can work from bloom. We're comfortable with that. Um, and so it's that type of, you know, conversation, people actually understanding you that you are more than your job. You are more than what you're doing and they're making allowances for you because whether they like it or not, ultimately we perform when we are happy. So if you make me happy, listen, I will, I will fly to the moon and back (laughs) for you. But if I have to struggle for, for basic things, it makes it quite difficult um, for me to actually be able in a position to thrive within the organization. So I think it's about having earnest conversations and understanding the people that you're working with, particularly the women, because our challenges are different. Um, you look at how most of, particularly in my community, um, women, you know, are single mothers. So what are you doing? Do you have a daycare? Um, you know, are you making allowances for, you know, those type of things? Or are you just seeing it as a hindrance to your operations? Um, so it's really, really an internal conversation that organizations need to have. And also with the women that are affected so that change can actually happen, real change, sustainable change, not just, hey, we have a woman working for us. And I do, I think it is that output focused mindset shift that needs to happen as as an absolute fundamental to making legal services in Africa more accessible, which is having that honest conversation and saying, how do we maximize your output, but do so in a way that improves your quality of, 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 of living almost, you know, those practical focuses on how do we ensure that you are giving your best work and you're really enjoying doing it because like you said if someone really respects you and look after you you will fly to the moon and back and i do think there's going to be a bit of a a a tidal shift here with with certain players in the market that can show themselves to be an absolute bastion of of female empowerment and embracing some very sensible changes that are going to be made and they're going to blow people out of the water with the competition that they the the the, uh the the quality of employee that they can sweep up exactly imagine (laughs) i mean for a moment imagine (laughs) if most of the talented female uh, uh uh lawyers in in south africa if 20 percent of them decided to move to a single firm you know, they'd blow the competition out of the water when it when it comes to so much. Um, yeah. Interesting yeah. space to watch. And I think also people lose sight of the fact that, you know, when you, you are having those particular challenges, those are actually your motivators to do better. You know, so you are not just going to work just because, oh, I'm at work. I need to complete this, this task. No, you are like, oh, I'm a single mother. I need to feed them. I need to give them a life. So your motivators are extremely high Mm. and so your performance will literally match that simply because of that and that's why i've never gotten the argument around um 
women who are mothers and them not performing. And I'm like, do you know? <laughs> do you know? But anyway, I No, no, no. You do not trust me when I say this. You do not know what performance is until you have studied a single mother balancing washing, cleaning, clothing, educating, mentoring, counselling, yeah. healing uh, uh, their children all within uh, you know the space of a day whilst managing a career so you talk about and performance still managing to look cute <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, there you go and doing it with style I think that's that's something not to be forgotten um, I wanted to pose a, a closing question to you both actually and speaking of uh, of children or youth I I'd ask if uh, starting with you, Naomi, if, if you could somehow go back in time and give advice to a, a young Naomi at the very start of your career after graduating, what advice would that be and why? Hi, Tom. So the advice I'll give myself, I have a lot of advice that I could give the younger self, but I think the most critical one for me is it's okay to be different. And it, it is okay to take risks. I don't know if any of you have experienced from our mothers that would always ask that question, but what would people say? So you're almost afraid to try certain things, to explore certain opportunities, to say yes to opportunities that comes your way. Because what if you fail? What if you are not good at it? And I, so what? If you fail, it is really just an, a lesson and an opportunity for you to grow and to learn from that. So I have uh, been taught in my adult years the um, principles of a growth mindset. And the growth mindset is like, you know, we're not necessarily born with certain skills, but it, it is practice and how many hours of practice you need to do a certain thing. So you become great at something by practicing that. So by all means, fail and fail spectacularly and go and take those risks. And what if people say, so what? Is it going to change you? Is it going to make you any less um, of a person or is it going to take away the skill you just become a much better person and a much better leader I have found that all of the mistakes that I've made made me a much better employee it made me a much better leader and a much better person in general from those challenges and from all those opportunities and it has also taken me through amazing and spectacular journeys. And I, I think it's such an important point to make that it does feel like there's never been a better time to be fearless. There is so much resource out there via the web, via networks that previously weren't as accessible. There are case studies. There are free online training courses. You know, Africa Legal produces its own free training courses there are people such as yourselves who are reachable on the you know uh, talk tech with leah i think is the is that the uh, the hashtag that's correct on twitter spaces um <laughs> uh, leary can correct me later if i'm wrong but there are all of these these points of access that mean that you can expose yourself to different ideas different thinking different opportunities in a relatively low risk way you know so the fearlessness yeah. is 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 never been never been better it's never been 
more accessible. So do do have that in mind would be my kind of follow on from that point. And Leah, to pivot to you first to correct me on that that Twitter handle if you if you can or need to. And secondly, you're face to face with that that young young Leah, fresh faced, uh, bright eyed. What advice are you giving them and why? Uh, okay, so first of all, it's legal tick with Leah. There we go. <laughs> I thought I'd screwed it up. <laughs> Hashtag legal tick with Leah. There we go. Um, in relation to, you know what I'll tell myself? Ultimately, it's just to keep going. Um, because sometimes it can be so hard. And, you know, oftentimes we are fighting private battles that no one really gets also internal struggles from your dreams from what you want because definitely i mean after graduating my thing was oh let me be um you know some director before 30 in some law firm like that was my big big goal that was like my one thing and then that shifted um and so it's okay to just keep going and just literally follow your path because you grow, you develop, and you're exposed to things that will actually shift your dreams, that will make you dream another dream. And it's okay to start afresh. It's okay to literally shift things. You know, I love when you said, uh, when you started, you're like, oh, Leah, she's had various roles. <laughs> and then now she's head of a business development. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It's okay. You know, it's okay to change. It's okay to pivot. It's okay to follow your passions. Um, you know, what you like today may not be what you are into tomorrow. And that's okay too. So just keep going. Even though to the outside world, it might seem like you're confused or you don't know what you want. Ultimately, I think it was Steve Jobs who said who said that you you only understand the connected dots when you look backwards. So as you go through it, you actually don't get it. But in hindsight, everything will make sense. Literally, everything will just fall into place. Those are some wonderful thoughts from you both. And I I am willing to commit to a three-way split of all profits of the T-shirt that we're going to have printed, which says, (laughs) keep moving, be fearless. And I think that summarizes a, a lovely combination of both of your your main advice for younger selves there. And I, I hate to say it, and I, I'm already thinking that we must do this again um, uh, uh, relatively soon, uh, because that does bring us to time. So I would like to thank you both. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Naomi, for joining me here today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for hosting us. Thank you so much. Naomi, it's always a pleasure talking with you, sharing a stage with you. She's so much fun. <laughs> I agree. This has this has been a lot of fun for me. It's up there. Top three, if not one. Don't tell Yay. anyone else. And, <laughs> and as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. Now, if you are new to the Africa Legal podcast, you can peruse our entire back catalogue of more than 60 episodes now, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, don't forget to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal practitioner. So without further ado, this has been Tom, Leah and Naomi, and we are signing off 
for the Africa Legal Podcast.